Good morning, Crossbridge family, and welcome to Crossbridge Online. It is so good to be with you today. And if you're a guest with us and you're joining us as we kick off 2021, I wanna wish you a happy new year and just say thank you so much for joining us. And I want you to know that my hope and my prayer for you is the same as it is for every single person who watches with us and joins us online. And that's simply this, that no matter where you find yourself in your faith today, that you would be able to take one step towards Jesus because that's what we are all about here at Crossbridge. And you'll notice uh, for many of you that we are filming it in a new location today. And we are currently in the Classy Cow down in Logan, New Jersey. And they have graciously allowed us to use this space to film. But also what's amazing is they have allowed us to use this space on Sunday mornings. And so starting next week on January 10th, we've got an amazing opportunity for many of you who have asked to meet in person in a smaller group, but a larger setting. We're gonna be doing that right here at the Classy Cow. We'll still be doing all of our virtual experience and this gathering will simply be to stream the service together. And sometimes it's just good to hear other people laugh so you're not the only one in your living room laughing. But for those of you who keep up with us virtually, nothing will change for you. But if you'd like to come to an in-person gathering, you'll be able to sign up on our website and uh, there'll be a form for you to reserve your spot. Masks are required and uh, there is no CB kids or childcare and families that come together absolutely sit together, but we will still remain socially distanced. So we're really excited about this area kicking off next week and you could sign up and hear more about that later. Today we're kicking off a brand new six part series called 40 Days of Prayer. And what I'm really, really pumped about this is that this is a series and 40 days that our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, is calling all of our churches to. And it's just this beautiful moment where for many of you, you probably don't know that we're part of a denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance or the CMA. And it is this amazing denomination that keeps Jesus at the center and that allows us to go after God and to reach our neighbors and love them so great. I absolutely love our denomination and it is worldwide and people all over the world are joining in together for these 40 days to pray. And I can't think of a better way of kicking off 2021 than that. If you wanna be in on this there, I'll remind you now and I'll remind you later, but you could sign up for daily devotionals right at the CMA website and you could click on a link in a form. It'll be right in the comments and it's right in the description and you could jump on there, sign up and you will get a daily reminder of things that we are praying about and the themes that we're going on together. The reason I wanted our church to join in on this is because I know that as we hit new year, Many of us come up with different resolutions, different goals, and maybe right now you're at a place where, you know, you're just like hoping my goal is not to have 2021 look like 2020. You're doing great. You're, you're doing great. But others of us, you know, we set goals kind of like I need to lose that COVID-19 pounds that I gained or 190 pounds is what it feels like, right? Maybe you're at a place where, um, now that you know you might be home for a little bit, you set up goals for how many books you can read. For some of you, that's pretty easy because you put your number at zero every year. You need to read. You know, we, we all have these different goals. We have plans for our finances or when you're able to leave the New Jersey or whatever state you're in, you have these plans to travel to this place, to that place. And you've got 2021 set up with these goals and these ideas. But rarely, very rarely do we prioritize the spiritual life and the spiritual goals that we have and integrate them into who we want to be. 
physically, mentally, socially, relationally, we make a plan. And usually there's some hope about what's going to happen when we make the plan. But when it comes to our spiritual life, I believe that too many of us start the beginning of the year and we kind of start at a place where we say, well, I'm going to let it ride and we'll see what happens. The truth is, is that all the areas of our life are connected. And, and I bet that if most of us took the time in 2021 to truly develop our spiritual lives, that we would begin to see all the other areas of our life change. And, and that might seem weird, but when I believe that when we intentionally put God at the center of our lives and what we do, we will begin to look at everything else in our lives very, very differently. Our health, our anxieties, our fears, our finances, and our families all become impacted by Christ at the center. By keeping God and his holiness as our focus, we become different people to love and to interact with all those other areas of our life. Could you imagine one year from now, January 3rd, 2022, how different would your life look if you continue to take one step towards Jesus for 365 days. You put Jesus there. Forget 365 days. Could you imagine what it would look like 40 days from now? How different would life look if you could prioritize Jesus for 40 days and say, I will step towards you. I will step towards you. How would your family look? How would work look? How would school look? How would Crossbridge look? If we want to get to that place, we've got to have a plan. And what I'm really excited about today is to kick off this series, we are going to be looking into a story that is very unique, but maybe familiar to you. And I would love for you to turn with me to the prophet Isaiah, to chapter 6. And if you have your Bibles with you, Isaiah is going to be, you know, just about halfway through your Bible. If you hit Psalms and Proverbs and all that, you want to go to the right, and if you hit a bunch of little books of names that you're having trouble pronouncing, go to the left. And you're gonna to wanna to get to Isaiah chapter six. And Isaiah is a major prophet. And as you're turning there, let me tell you, the difference between a major prophet and minor prophet is not the influence that they had over the nation. It's simply how long they are. Isaiah 66 books, and they're like, yo, that's a major book. It's a major prophet, right? It's really simple. But um, as you're turning there, what's some setup for you for Isaiah that is important for this passage. Isaiah lived in Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah. And what happened is, is God is going to give him these visions and these messages to tell to the nation of Israel and to, or to the nation of Judah. And Judah at this point is coming off a tear of some uh, decent kings. And prosperity-wise, they are blowing it out. They've got a lot of finances. They are, uh, all sorts of produce is being grown. They're actually in this moment, when we begin Isaiah, they're at peace with a lot of the nations that are around them. But all of those beautiful things were covering up the spiritual mess of Judah. That they were, they were spiritually completely devoid of any relationship with God. And as you begin to read this whole prophet, what happens is you see these swings in Isaiah's writing, these swings from him calling out sin to bringing in hope. And when you look at the first five chapters of Isaiah, 
he actually the sin piece takes up like the first 39 chapters and it's not until after that that there's really some hope in what's going to happen after they come back from being exiled it's a mess to get through this but there are times that isaiah really goes after them and here's the worst part about isaiah's calling is god says to him you need to call them out on their rebellion from me their worship of all of these idols, their disobedience from obeying my commands. And there's this massive calling out of the injustice that exists in this nation of the rich getting richer off the poorer and completely ignoring those who need the most help. And it's Isaiah's job to call them out. And God says to him, when you do this, just as a heads up, they're going to completely ignore you. You, you're going to say it, you need to keep saying it, but everyone's going to ignore you. And not only are they going to ignore you, they're going to hate you, they're going to push you aside. You, they will not like you because of what you're about to say. Now, I, I don't know about you, but what do you do when you're at a place, when God calls you to say something to people, how do you sustain a calling as a prophet or a, you know, someone who loves his nation to say god's gonna bring things right but you've got to confess how do you sustain that how do you keep with it and not get discouraged i think the answer to that is actually found in isaiah chapter 6 and i've always seen this passage through one lens but as i've spent time praying through it i kind of see it a little bit differently today so what i'd love for you to do is would you read with me about a moment in isaiah's life that is going to transform the next 60 years of how he loves this entire nation and this vision is going to happen at about um 740 bce okay 740 is the timeline for you it says this in the first eight verses it was in the year king uzziah died that i saw the lord he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips with it. And he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. How amazing and absolutely terrifying are these eight verses. I'm getting goosebumps reading this again out loud with you because I'm overwhelmed by, by all of the things that are in here. We've got flying creatures. We've got thrones and hymns, a mental breakdown and burning coals. Uh, this experience 
changes everything for Isaiah. And, and I think it's because of the first four verses where Isaiah starts and he gets this beautiful look into this, this vision of what heaven looks like. The very throne room of God Almighty. And he sees the holiness of God. The holiness of God. Now, as you go down into that passage, you see um, let me just be honest, I could probably unpack this passage and take hours and hours to break down the beauty and the complexity of God to the best of my understanding, and it would still only scratch the surface, but we are going to kind of just quickly move through this so we can move to a place of understanding why it's important. So if you're left kind of going, I want to know more about that, oh, me too, let's chat. It would be, I would love to go over this. But what we have here is this moment where these seraphim and seraphim these creatures they're only mentioned in this chapter of isaiah nowhere else it's only here and and they're mentioned twice it's it's almost as though isaiah expects that we would know what they are because it's like oh the seraphim and and these winged creatures are doing nothing but singing the same hymn over and over the same chorus and they're saying holy 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 is the lord of heaven's armies Right? The Lord God Almighty, how holy are you? The entire earth is filled with your glory. And when you go into the Hebrew of this, that word holy is really important. It, it has the, the feeling of commanding respect. That it's awesome, singled out, consecrated, that declared sacred, right? That, that God is different than any other, that he is is worthy of this respect, worthy of this honor, that he is different and singled out among all other gods, all other creatures, all of creation. He's different. He is different. How do you get to a place where these seraphim are saying, God, you're so different, and it's because of his holiness. His holiness is displayed in a lot of different ways here, but two of the most important ways that you can pick up with me is God's holiness is displayed first in his power. In his power, in Isaiah's vision, God is clearly shown as supreme and without equal. With these seraphim, just look at these creatures. They've got wings, three sets of wings. One's here, one's here, one, and, and they're, they're always active, they're always singing, they're always strong. And I'm telling you, if you and I saw a creature like this, we're done, right? You and I immediately would stop and say, like, I, I can't win. You win. You're, you're stronger than I am. And now these creatures with a massive amount of authority, a massive amount of power, what do we find them doing? They're attending to and worshiping the only one who deserves to be worshiped. One who is so powerful that he could be mastered by nothing. Now, the idea of being mastered by nothing is very foreign to us as humans. Because the truth is, we're mastered by all sorts of things. But most importantly, in this context of God displaying his power, through his holiness through power, God cannot be mastered by what you and I are mastered, and that is simply sin. Sin has this way of getting its hooks into us and controlling what we do. And when I say the word sin, um, at Crossbridge we define this as anything that we think, we say, we do that displeases God. Any um, action that we have that doesn't look 
uh, or love like Jesus would, we would call that sin. You have fallen short of what God has called us to. And we get mastered by those. We get into these habits, which is why when a new season hits, what do we do? We want to change these bad habits that we had. But here's the interesting thing about God. God is so holy, so mighty, so powerful that he cannot be mastered by sin. He actually has to be separate from it. It cannot be in his presence because he is supreme and without rival. And and God's holiness is not only on display through his power, but it's on display through the praise that we see in this passage. Isaiah's vision, God is revealed, if you look in this, he's wearing this royal, regal robe, sitting on a throne above all else. Nothing compares to this vision that he's seen. We, We associate kings in robes with royalty. And what we find is a king who's so far above all other kings, a lord above all other lords, who's the train of his robe, the edge of his robe, fills this entire vision with glory and praise. And God is holy because he's sitting above all else. In Isaiah's vision, he's constantly receiving praise over and over. Uh, sometimes when we sing worship songs, many people are like, why, why did Pastor Will sing that chorus over and over? Like, well, shouldn't we get on to the next song? Like, you do understand in the vision of heaven that Isaiah, Isaiah sees, and we see it again all over scripture, that when people are in the presence of God, they're screaming one thing over and over is praise. God, you are holy. God, you are holy. God, you are holy. Unlike any other being God deserves, this praise. And we can't even help it when we come into the presence of God, but to praise him because he is so different, so other, and not like us, that there's nothing we could offer him except this praise. And Isaiah, who has found himself surrounded by a nation who, while all things on the outside look good, their hearts Their attitudes and their spiritual well-being is a mess. What happens when a prophet comes before God in that context? I love his response in verse 5. Would you read it with me? And then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. And here Isaiah demonstrates two very natural and completely correct responses to the holiness of God. His power and his praise have caused Isaiah to respond with first a very clear sense of self-awareness. In the presence of God's holiness, Isaiah comes face to face with his very unholy condition. In light of his position in Judah, right? He's the prophet to Judah, telling him all these things. It's really easy for him to see the sin of all the people around him. It's easy for him to say, they've got unclean lips, they've got unclean lips, and they've got unclean lips, almost like, you know, Oprah giving away things. He sees all the issues. And he probably has a sense of feeling good about himself because here he is a prophet called by God who's not like these other people. And let's just be real. We do this, don't we? 
we do this. It's really easy for us to start saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. At least I didn't do the things that those people did. At least I, I, I didn't do this or don't think that or don't say these things. And, and we can really easy look at the sin and the issues of the people around us to kind of elevate ourselves a little bit and say, well, look, at least I'm not like that. And, and self-awareness is this gift that we get from putting God at the center and seeing his holiness because when we come into the presence of a holy God, we, just like Isaiah, realize I'm just as sinful. I have issues that need to be dealt with. He doesn't start out by saying, man, these people are mess. He says, oh man, I'm done. I'm done. I'm a man of unclean lips. Like, I've got an issue, God, that yes, the rest of these people have, but it starts with my own stuff. And Isaiah realizes he's not holy, and we need to realize we're not either. That we are separated from God because of sin in our life. And when we put God at the center, it's not to shame us, but it's to highlight that we're not him. And we serve a God who is so much different than us, who deserves our praise and deserves to be at the center. But too often we think we could do it, and we are so unaware of our own sin that the gift of self-awareness is recognizing we don't have it all together. And the second response from Isaiah is great. It's simply fear. He realizes he's done. He's got like a little mental breakdown. And I love how he just says, it's all over. Like, oh man, because here's the truth. As a prophet, what does Isaiah know? If you read these first five chapters, I'd love for you to do it. You're going to see that God is about to bring the hammer down on Judah and saying, listen, there's so much sin in your life. If you don't get this right as a nation, if you don't start caring for the poor and obeying my commands and stop cheating people all over the place, if you can't get this together, I'm bringing your worst enemy to take you over and they're going to destroy everything and remove you and bring you to their nation you will no longer have your land it will be theirs and so if god can treat a nation like this because of sin here isaiah finds himself in the presence of god in all holiness and his response is i'm done i'm gonna die God, you're going to kill me because you're so holy and my self-awareness tells me that I'm so not holy and because of that, I deserve to die because you as a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. But here is where verses 6 and 7 change everything for me and this is what has rocked me this week is because Isaiah expected destruction from the throne, but instead he found forgiveness from the altar. Let me say that again for you just in case you missed it, because Isaiah expected destruction from the throne. Instead, he found forgiveness from the altar. If you, if you look into this throne room, you see that there is an altar that's there. And we've talked about many times at Crossbridge, and you've seen it in your readings through soaping, which is how we read scripture all together as a church. You've seen it through your, your reading of Israel's history that there are altars that sacrifices would happen on, and these sacrifices would happen for the forgiveness of sins, right? It was this temporary um, shedding of blood. 
for the purpose of the forgiveness of sins. And in the throne room of God in heaven, there's not just a throne, but there's an altar. There's an altar. And Isaiah's focus is so much on the throne, which is great, that God commands one of the seraphim to say, grab a coal. And the seraphim with tongues grabs a holy coal and brings it over to an unholy Isaiah. And he touches his lips. He touches his lips. When he's ready to die, God forgives him. When he's ready to say, I don't deserve to be in your presence because of your holiness, God says, you're correct, but I have solved that problem because I want to be with you. When he expected destruction, he received forgiveness. Ultimately, we see this play out for us through his son, Jesus Christ who gave his life as a sacrifice for us in our sin, in our separation from God. And it's almost like being touched when we choose to place our trust in Jesus and say, I want to live, love, and, and learn everything about you. It's like a hot coal on our lips that God says, you were a man of unclean lips, but you have been forgiven. Not because you could do anything, Jimmy, because you're a hot mess but my forgiveness is greater than that because I so desire to be in a relationship with you that I've prepared a place for forgiveness because I know sin happens. So what does Isaiah do with this forgiveness? In verse 8, it says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Isaiah's response right in the beginning. Then I heard the Lord. His response to the forgiveness is he was listening even more to what God had to say. He was waiting for the words of God in his time with him. And the second thing that he did is when God spoke to him, he responded. He listened for the voice of God and responded when he heard it. And this whole vision fueled him for the next 60 years through a calling to a nation that didn't want to hear from him, that didn't care about their relationship with God, that wanted Isaiah along with every other prophet who was around him to basically shut up and go away. But Isaiah sticks with his call. He sticks with proclaiming the words of God. He sticks with continuing to call them back to a life of repentance. Why? Because he had been forgiven himself. And I believe from this point on, instead of pointing out, look, you filthy people that he was surrounded by, he began to see a burden for them to experience what he experienced. Because when we experience God as disciples of Jesus, when we have a true experience with the Lord, it does not make us proud, but instead it humbles us and it breaks us and it reminds us of how much our friends, our families, our neighbors need Jesus. By shifting God from being something we do on Sundays to the very center of our life, we will begin to look at everything else differently. Our health, our anxiety, our fears, our finances, and our family are all impacted when God is at the center. 
And I believe that this all starts with the response that Isaiah had as he listened for God. He prayed. He was in a position to hear from God. And that is why I, I want to invite you for the next 40 days to join me and to join our staff and our board and our elders and join Crossbridge in praying. Not so you could check off a box, but so that you could see 2021 differently. And you're not looking back saying, I, I can't do that again because you don't have to because God has something, but we've got to keep stepping forward with him. And so I want to set you up very quick with three quick steps, three requests if you want to jump into praying with us for these 40 days. And the first step is this. I'm going to ask you to pray daily. I know that sounds silly, but... Um, you're like, duh, I would expect that, 40 days of prayer. Listen, there are reminders that our denomination is sending out to all our churches, all our workers, all of our family. And again, you could see the comments. There's a link right here, and there's a link in the description. Sign up so it comes right to your email, simply because, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get overwhelmed, I get busy, and that simple reminder that comes in, it, it, that's all it is. It's a flag. Oh, let me pause for just five minutes right now. I have five minutes. Sometimes that simple reminder is all you need. The other thing I would encourage you to do with praying daily is, um, you know, sometimes it's good to see your uh, prayers. And so for me, I, I love to journal my prayers. I would encourage you, go get a journal for the next 40 days. You could finish out one. This is one that I'm finishing out through this series. Um, this was a great Christmas gift handmade by some women in India that I cannot wait to open up next from a family across bridge, so thank you. Um, but this is where I will begin praying next. Why? Because sometimes for 10 minutes to write down my prayers, I begin to see my relationship with Jesus develop in such a cool way. And I can begin to see answered prayers that step by step by step, because sometimes I pray for things and never remember, and I miss God's answer. And so, listen, sometimes it helps to write it out. It's a catalog of your relationship with God. And listen, if you're one who does not like to write, but you need to doodle. My journals are filled with all sorts of doodles, pictures. Um, listen, whatever you need to do to help you understand and focus with God, do it. Use the time to be intentional. The second thing I'd love for you to do after you pray daily is to commit weekly. Commit weekly. I'm going to challenge you and encourage you to make our time together a priority over the next six weeks. That our Sunday morning gathering at 10 a.m., I'm gonna ask you to make this a priority for you that you put it on your calendar, block it out and say, this time is untouchable. And, and the reason I want you to do that is there was a, a frightening, frightening research uh, study that came out on December 2nd. And it was, a, it was a Gallup poll that came out and it was all about the mental health of our nation over the last 20 years and really what happened in 2020. It came out on December 2nd, so we're not talking about research that's months old. And the, the crazy thing about this is over the last 20 years, when it came to good or excellent mental well-being and mental health, 86% of our country would have checked those boxes. 86% of them, uh, 34 of them would have been excellent. That's a lot of people. And while it did ebb and flow, and we all know that it would go down in 2020, no one expected that it would go down 10% in 2020, that 10% of our nation would say, I'm no longer here. I'm actually lower than I ever expected. And if I'm being honest, I think more people lied about it because I know people aren't good. 
I know mental health isn't excellent. All the stats were broken down. Everyone dipped off in how they were doing in their mental well-being, regardless of race, gender, political affiliation, um, age, income, none of it mattered. Everyone went down except for one group of people. Only one group of people went up in their mental well-being in 2020, and that was those who attended a religious service weekly. Not seldom, like once a month I'll go when I got time, or I, I don't go. Actually, the seldom and the don't go dipped hard, over 10%. But weekly attenders found hope. They found something to focus on that wasn't them. I'm not telling you this because I want to see Crossbridge be this massive. I'm telling you this because I want to see you have Jesus at the center. And it's so easy to forget when everything's coming at us. So would you commit weekly for the sake of your own well-being to put Christ at the center? Block it out on your calendar. I want you to prioritize your spiritual health in 2021, committing weekly to God's word and to being at Crossbridge with us. I want you here in person, on your couch. I don't care. I, I want to pray with you and I want to worship with you. Commit to it. And I think when you do, you're going to realize uh, that you're not surrounded by a bunch of sinners and how crazy the U.S. is. And instead, you're going to see all these numbers going down and your heart will break for them because you have something they don't. And your hope will be that Jesus could bring a swing in their mental spiritual well-being. And the last step I have for you is simply this. I, I want you to give yourself grace. Please give yourself some grace. If you miss a day in our 40 days, don't quit. Don't feel like you have to make it up or do double time. This is not a New Year's resolution. This isn't a goals. This isn't any of that stuff. This, I, I just want you to, if you miss it, jump right back in, right wherever we are. You don't have to, like, whatever the email is, get right back on it because Here's the truth for you and I. We're usually the ones who are ready to destroy our plans so quick. And like Isaiah in the throne room, God sits on a throne and he's saying to you and I, I don't want to destroy you here, but I've got an altar of forgiveness ready for you. Would you show yourself some grace? All I want is to be with you today. I've prepared for you today. I've got a place for you today. Find that place. And when you miss, show yourself some grace. We're, we're going to talk more about grace and the altar next week as we unpack a unique way to pray. But I want to tell you that I am so looking forward to the next 40 days with you. 40 days to seek God out, to do everything we can to put Him at our center so that we could love people more and serve everyone who's around us. And my hope and my prayer is that when people see you and they say, how could you smile right now? And it's that goofy smiles because Jesus has changed my life and he's my center. It's going to be okay because he is holy. He is in control. He is powerful and deserves my praise. Crossbridge, before we close our service, I would love for you, wherever you are, just to stand with me. And each week for the next six weeks, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. A prayer that's found in Ephesians chapter 3. And I know it might feel weird to stand wherever you are, but I really want to encourage you to do that. And, and as we close out, would you just put your hands out for me to receive a blessing 
Almost like when Isaiah was terrified, I imagine God saying, hold on, I have something for you, and I believe that God has something for you. And each week we'll do this. My prayer for you is the same as Paul for the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 16, it says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, that he would empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'll see you guys next week.